going to take a moment just to greet everybody, just so that those who are still able to connect can say hello. Uh, watching around the world, countries represented, Ireland, Somalia, Germany, and Mauritius were some of the ones I saw. Our church in Jeffreys Bay <laughs> is connecting for the message. And Kingfisher FM on radio uh, in Mandela Bay. Will you please say hello to one another through a round of, a round of applause? Um, if, if my understanding is correct, there is still YouTube and Facebook running. So would it be okay if we just kept going? How, how do you guys, you guys feeling okay about that? There are hundreds of people. So they're just watching a blank screen right now. Um, but um, I, hope, I hope you're able to hear. I'm uh, in a series, a conversation. I see the, um, those of you who are used to raves, you're turning on your torches right now from your... From your history, I'm joking, I'm joking. Um, I'm going to let the team proceed with their plans there, and I'm just going to get my notes out here. We're in a series um, uh, at the moment, just these last two weeks, titled The Good Book, and talking about how to optimize, make the most of Scripture, the Bible. And so today, I want to take you to a passage of Scripture where it went from mystery to an absolute revelation. And maybe you, your journey with this man in the Bible will be uh, will echo your own experience of uh, the, there's a lot in the Bible. And um, in fact, you can't see it, but I brought, <laughs> I brought my actual official Bible, which is uh, um, the biggest book I've got. And it's the only book I've got that's bound in leather with gold on the sides. And it's unique in so many ways. And it, I think last week we discussed, it sort of has to be approached uniquely also. So with that in mind, I want to take you to a passage of Scripture. Don't follow on the screen um, uh, this time. Uh, <laughs> because you can't do it. Okay, um, Acts chapter 8, that one lot is trying very hard. I just want to acknowledge you for trying. Uh, and um, uh, Acts chapter, I can follow on the screen right now. Acts chapter 8, verse 26, let's go. It says this, now, the angel of the Lord said to Philip, oh, the angel of the Lord said to Philip, let there be light. We try that again, and then like, I missed my moment. I could have said, I could have declared it. Um, now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, go down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kadeka. Um, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, he was sitting uh, in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit said to Philip, go to the chariots uh, and stay near it. And then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. And so he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. There's a very cool conversation that takes place there. I just want to pause it there for a moment and make a few points. First of all, I want you to know that the gospel and the worship of God was in Africa at the same time as it was everywhere else in the world. 
I think that's really important because here's this Ethiopian guy. I don't know if you know where Ethiopia. Okay, so there's this here's this Ethiopian guy who's gone to Jerusalem to worship God. At that point, the Old Testament understanding of God. And he's coming back home. He's an important guy. So the gospel was in Africa and the gospel reached from the poorest to the wealthiest right from the beginning. I don't want to hear about it was some colonial plot and whatever. Uh, it, the gospel uh, went through all the political history of humanity, all the conflicts through humanity, all the confusion through humanity. Jesus Christ was being declared on this continent by its people, the people of Africa, from the very beginning of Scripture. You say amen to that. There are so many lies out there, and young people are believing the lies. Speaking of young people here in North End, uh, over a hundred teenagers are at our youth program Saints in Warehouse One right now. They ran out of chairs. I got an SMS this morning to say they, they, they ran out of chairs. So um, I'm, I'm, super I'm super excited about that. Uh, one more thing, JB, I'm so sorry I'm doing this. Uh, I'm going to go back to my message. You'll definitely be finished in time for lunch at 12. Uh, no, much earlier than that. We're going to make a change to the, to the evening service. People are staying after the service and we're providing more and more food. So it's almost becoming like supper. Starting next, first Sunday of September, the service time will move to 5 p.m. so that we can stay afterwards also and have supper together, those who want to stick around. 5 p.m. It also means if you're a working person, person with a child, etc., uh, you can still get home, you know, before midnight and be ready, be ready for work. And I know some of you are like, oh, it's George getting old. Like, he doesn't want to be preaching at 8 p.m. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hallelujah. Okay. Um, this passage of Scripture is also part in another way, and that is this important relationship of understanding the gospel and understanding the Bible not on your own independently, but through conversation. This is an incredible thing that what, what, one of the things God does is take a man, Philip, who is one of the apostles of the early day, and said to him, Go take a walk on a long desert road. It's going to be inconvenient. When you take that walk, you'll bump into someone reading Scripture. Don't let him read it on his own. Let me help him. And I just want to encourage you that the Bible is not meant to be a personal analysis book. It is meant to be fuel for the conversations that should happen in community. Fathers and mothers should talk about Scripture talk about it with their kids, husbands and wives together, and churches should come together and have conversation. When you take it and analyse and dissect it on your own, you get into um, confusing territory, you get lost, and you even go down rabbit uh, holes uh, of uncertainty. It's not, it was never meant in that kind of way. And this is an incredible example of exactly that. One more scripture I want to read to you, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. It's one of those Bible verses that has a 316 part to it. We, we know John 316. This is one of those 316s for memory uh, sake. 2 Corinthians 3, uh, 12 uh, down to 16. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites um, from seeing the end of something that was passing away, but their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil, 
remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ Jesus is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers our hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, uh, with, uh, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now, I always used to preach this verse in my very charismatic or Pentecostal days, and I still feel like I'm in that camp, eh, just so you know. But I always used to preach only the part that says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And that was often used as an opportunity to go crazy in church. So you would say, oh, the, the Lord really moved in freedom. And then the people would dance and they would wave flags and they would do ribbons and stuff. I never did that. Just want you to know, I know what my skill set is and that is not, I'm, I don't have dance moves. I don't, have, I don't have dance moves. Some of you don't have dance moves also, but you do have, you do have flags. But, and so, but you know that passage of Scripture is not about our behaviour, it's about our ability to read Scripture. It says, even now, every human being, when reading Scripture, you may not know this. Here's my, I wanted to prove to you I have an actual Bible. Um, uh, and this one's the highlighted one, eh? And folded, and it's got like dates on it. Back in the day when humans used to write. This is, this is, um, but, here's, but here's the thing. That Scripture says, when you read the Bible, unless the Spirit of God is involved, there's something about it that's difficult to read. Let's just be honest. It's difficult. It's a difficult book to read. It's in, in fact, first of all, a library. So we, we bear that in mind. We talked about that last week. But it's a difficult book to read. It's difficult because it asks more questions without the Spirit than it answers. Only when the Spirit removes this thing the Bible describes as a veil does it start to make sense. So every person here, at some time or another, you had what the Bible referred to as the darkening of your heart. You couldn't see it. That's what the Scriptures would say. And, and having eyes they don't see and ears they don't hear and hearts that are hardened. The Spirit of God has to come and occupy the reader to draw out from the pages the life-giving Word of God. When you analyse it in any other way, apart from the Spirit of God, it is dull to you. And you might have even read parts of the Scripture and thought, oh, no, I don't, I don't get that at all. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, there are a few verses I, you know, I want to ask Jesus about when I get, I want to ask Jesus about some of them. They're strange. There are a couple of strange verses. There's one section in, in one of the prophets. I read it quickly in, in case the Lord asks me to do the same thing because this prophet was supposed to tell the people that they're not listening to God so to lie on his side in the city gates for like 300 days. I'm like... Jesus, uh, uh, where is the city? Like, would that be at Bay West or would that be at Blue Water Bay? I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to do that. They're going to put me in those hospitals. So I, you know, I've got questions. But when the Spirit of God illuminates the reader, now let me tell you, you can also read it with another spirit. You can read it with the spirit of this world. 
You can read and, and look for things. You'll find things in them. You can read it with a spirit of hurt and discouragement and you find other things. You can read it with an unforgiving heart. And anybody who reads the Bible with an unforgiving heart, you know, and they see the story of the storm or they, they, they hear of the Old Testament conflicts, they're like, yes, Lord, my ex-friend, I want this verse. This verse must happen to them. You know that thing with the fire coming down? Oh, Jesus, renew your works in our day also, Lord. Fire, Lord, there over my friend's house. Because you're reading it with a spirit. And that is a dangerous, a dangerous thing. The Bible describes this characteristic that everybody has when you read the Bible until the Spirit of God illuminates it to you as a veil. That, that, we know the term veil to be like a wedding thing. So it's like a beautiful thing. Like, you know, the bride has a veil um, and, you know, uh, you, you march in and the veil is removed. The person was always there, but the full beauty of the person is not revealed until the veil is taken taken off. But in Scripture, you imagine the veil uh, also being described as uh, the, the woman of the day never revealing their faces fully out in public. Also, the curtain in the temple that made you not able to see the the Ark of the Covenant and all the beautiful things, those were all curtains or veils preventing you from seeing something. There's a little part that says, Moses uh, had a veil. So even a man, he, he had a veil over his face. He hid his face because he was so full of God's presence when he went up on the mountain that he was shining and he didn't want to frighten the people. And so he put a veil and, he, you know, and some Christians, you, you do need to maybe just tone it down a bit. I don't know. Is it, it, was that a rude thing to say? I do feel some Christians are like, yeah, very bright. It's just like... Uh, you know what I mean, if you've been around for a while, you know, instead of just an ordinary prayer over grace, over the meal, Lord, thank you for this food, they brought, Lord, we bind the spirit of poverty. They tried to steal this meal. Lord, we release the spirit of multiplication. Not enough fried chicken here, Lord. Lord, we... And you're like, and all the people who are visiting you are like, hey, it's a lot. You're a lot. That's a lot. I'm not coming to your church. I'm going back to my Catholic place. So... I'm, I'm just making jokes. Please don't, please don't email. You can email Vince at, uh, he's back from sabbatical in two weeks. Yay. Um, so so uh, the, the difficulty of seeing it is, is that we are all veiled. And I think that there is something very significant about that. Genesis chapter three, <clears throat> verse five, for God knows um, uh, that when you eat from it, uh, talking to Adam and Eve, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. This idea of what I can and can't see, what I'm veiled from or hidden from. Before the fall, mankind was blind to evil. They saw the beauty in everything, didn't see the evil side. A bit naive. When we fell, our eyes opened to evil. People ask me often, why did God create evil? He didn't. He created beauty, which a perverted heart turned into evil. So the example, there would be a man invents a knife. He thinks it'll be a wonderful tool. You can make stuff with it. You can prepare a meal with it. You can cut your food with it. But a dark heart says, I can kill someone with it. The man who made the knife did not want to murder. He didn't create the evil. The heart of mankind birthed it. 
And so this idea of the veil is something I want to spend a few minutes on. I thought for memory's sake, I mean, pastors imagine that you're remembering these sermons and that you're talking about them until Thursday. We know you're probably after the coffee aren't going to, but, but just, uh, just, uh, just for my sake, just a memory on veil, okay? So I've defined it for you uh, through um, the word veil. First of all, the Bible tells us that without the Spirit, our vision is limited. Your veil is limited by your vision. You see things your way. I see things through the eyes of my 40-something-year-old male self. That wasn't completely true. But I appreciate that you believed me. I appreciate that there was just no resistance to the topic. You were like, yeah, could be. Um, <laughs> at, least, <laughs> at least that's what I imagine. Your vision is also impaired by past hurts, past sermons, past successes. You're tempted to see things from your journey and it limits you seeing God fully. The second idea that about the veil over all of our eyes is that we're all tempted to see things through exaggeration. Through exaggeration. I, I often think about this uh, with, um, with some of the scriptures, you know, um, uh, the feeding of the 5,000, you know, something inside of me makes me think, I'll bet that's a preacher who wrote that. The preacher said there were 5,000 people there. I'll bet the more scientific person was like, yeah, there were 49, like just calm down. There were, it wasn't quite, you know. Um, isn't there a temptation for us to exaggerate what we see, how we see it and how we interpret it? I do, by the way, believe there were at least 5,000 because they didn't want to count the women and children. So I'm going to say there were 25,000 people there because I, I think each person had two children. Okay, so the... the the danger of exaggeration is this, that when you read Scripture from a human point of view, you look for what you want to see, you repeat only what you want to see, you skip over the parts you don't want to see, until eventually everything in the Bible is talking about like maybe a specific topic. And there's such a danger to that, that you could use the Scripture unwisely or without good balance. Secondly, you have to read the Bible with a pure heart. So one of the elements of a veil is your intention. Your intention. You know, somebody the other day said to me, uh, I've got this good friend and we've been gymming together and we've been hanging out together and I think I want to date her and I'm talking about my friend now, I just want to be clear. Um, and because, you know, when they say I have a friend, it's like, yeah, it's you. Um, and but so what I'm going to do, I, and then I, I ask the Lord just to confirm it. And you know, I opened the Bible, and in my reading that day, it said, "You shall go out with joy, <laughs> and be led forth with gladness." And I said, "Is her name Joy? Because that would be that would be." Like that would be next level if her name was Joy and you got a verse that said, you shall go out with joy. That also puts joy in a very difficult situation because joy cannot say no to the Lord and the verse from Isaiah. Like that's a tough one. You know, like it's been, your intention is sometimes impure. That's why we need the Spirit of the Lord because you can have an idea already in your mind and while you're reading, you're sucking up a verse to prove, defend or justify your idea. This is why Scripture is not from the heart of man to be read 
through the eyes of man and interpreted by the mind of man. The Word of God is from the Spirit of God to be interpreted by the Holy Spirit and to be released into our lives as a form of personal transformation. The Word is above us. It's not subject to us. We are subject to the Word. It holds the reins and I'm its passenger. Never the other way around that I hold the reins and the Word is the passenger. Never the other way around. And that's why it becomes so vitally important to have conversation. And then lastly, we all have a veil of limitation. We're going to come across some part of Scripture that has a history we don't know or some part of text that's connected to a, a, a thing we didn't understand. I'm grateful that I'm not the authority on Scripture. The Scripture is the authority on me. You've got you to turn it around and hold it in that kind of way. And so I thought what I would do is just give you three pointers this morning on how to read the Bible in a rewarding way. Now, let me just tell you, the goal of, of the Bible is not for you to read it like a novel. Like I used to, I was so childish. I used to tell people how many times I'd read the Bible. Oh, I stopped counting at 20 times. You're supposed to be impressed. Let's try that again. I feel... <laughs> I feel you lacked the ooh, ah, oh, that. Uh... And I used to tell people that I've read it cover to cover. I stopped counting it 20 times. Better. Thank you. So childish. Jaber, I hope you're also ooing and aahing there. I don't know why I did that. I'm going to regret that moment when I'm having lunch later today. And be like, why did you do that? The goal isn't to read it in order to accumulate information. The goal is to let it read you so that it can create transformation. That's the important part. And I think uh, to achieve that, we need to set ourselves up really well to, to um, have Scripture rewarding, be rewarding in our lives. First of all, without a doubt, you need a spiritual pivot a moment in your life that points you in the right direction. A lot of people read the Bible to find God. That's a tricky thing to do. You, you, you first have to believe God and then let Him reveal Himself through Scripture. And the reason why that's important is there's just too many pages. Like if you're going to say, when I understand it, I will believe it. There's just too many pages. There are parts I don't understand. Uh, I can read it. I can academically comprehend it. I get what it's saying. I mean, I've been listening to this Jordan Peterson series on the book of Exodus. Like I need a break every 20 minutes. Like I just need a break. It's so intense and so smart and so beautiful. I just need to pause. You can't wait until you have enough understanding to create believing. You must have believing, and believing will open your heart to understanding. That's, it's very, that's why this book is so incredibly rare, unique. Ephesians 1.18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Remember that for more than a thousand years of the church, the first thousand years, they didn't have a copy at home. 
So they weren't trying to see how many times they can finish it in their lifetime. They would go to church and someone would read a piece because there were some copies around, would read a piece and they'd remember it and they'd go home and they'd talk about it. And in the community of the conversation, the will of God started to reveal itself more and more. I'm worried that the more privileged we are with information, the less powerful we are in application. That we have a lot of people who know a lot of things that they're not doing and so are discouraged by it. It was, you know, I've eventually stopped looking at diets on YouTube. It's like, only eat meat, only eat pawpaws. Uh, you know, drink water from, you know, the river, drink it from the sea, don't drink anything at all. Your body will absorb it like an air plant. Like, I don't know where we are anymore, so at some point you just have to, like, there's no more application room in my heart. Watch out with scripture that you don't fall into the same trap that you're trying to accumulate information but not application. You need a pivotal moment. In other words, you need to start by saying, Lord, I believe that you exist, that you're a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. We touched on it last week. And then with the heart of belief, you start to read. Now, if you're a scientist and you want to analyze the book as a scientific journal, then this is probably the wrong forum for you. you prob we probably need some sort of a lecture on the topic. But this isn't a lecture on the topic of the Bible like you would get at a university. This is the, the breaking of bread amongst the believers on what gives us food and what gives our souls life. And that's the context of that. Secondly, it's important for us to have a starting point. Whenever people say to me, if you're going to read the Bible, where would you start? I always used to tell them the same thing. You know, start in Ephesians. It's your RD book. Ephesians is your RD book. But I've realized something. Uh, it's also not an easy, it's not an easy book, eh? Uh, only later I realized, hey, I'm, I'm giving people, like it's got, Ephesians is the one like, wives, submit to your husbands and... You know, it's got the, I'm like, the husbands are loving me for the suggestion. The wives aren't coming back to church. I'm so confused. Um, and then I realized uh, the starting point of reading your Bible for a rewarding result is not which book you start from. It's the position you start reading it from in your heart. Not the book. L let me tell you what I mean. 2 Corinthians 4, 18 says, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So here's the thing. I fix my eyes on Jesus, and I read the scripture in reference to my relationship with the Lord. I start from faith, and then I read in faith. This is very important. Let me show what I mean. Give you a simple example, and and I'll I'll, I'll do my last point, and and um, we'll have a good cup of coffee together afterwards. Um, and I, I'm really was joking about Thursday, not not for lunch. <laughs> like somebody SMS me and said, "You see, you cause all these problems in your own life." Um, uh, so so let me give you an example. Um, the scripture of the woman who had the issue of blood, the medical condition, she spent all her money with doctors 
and she touches Jesus' garment and she is healed. And the disciples, Jesus says, who touched me? And the disciples said, all of us, what do you mean? And Jesus said, but someone touched me with an intention and they received healing and I want to know who it is. And she um, puts her hand up. Uh, maybe the first time you read it, in your relationship with the Lord, you are that woman. Something is you're bleeding in some kind of way in life. And you are inspired by her determination to cut out the noise of the crowd and come to the king. So you stop in that moment and you say, I too have tried everything to be whole and I am not. And I don't care what people tell me and if they call me a fool, but I'm gonna keep going to church and I'm gonna keep singing my heart out and I'm gonna reach my hand out to the king and at some moment the king will heal me. But then you may read it on another day. And your relationship with the Lord is in another place because you've journeyed with them and grown with them. And now you're not the woman in the story. You are the representative ambassador of Jesus. And you think to yourself, I wonder if today I will find a person I can pray for who's been waiting for an agent of heaven to say, God is for you and not against you. I wonder if there's someone I'm going to bump into who is in darkness and I will be a lamp, a, 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 a put on a lampstand for them on this day. And on that occasion, your relationship with the Lord is in a place where your role is interpreting that scripture in that context. See, I'm reading the same verse. I'm reading the same verse. On another day, your relationship with the Lord, so I look to the eternal, I read the temporary. On another day, your relationship with the Lord might be that you're going through a phase of being a little critical. You're a critic and you, you're, the Lord is addressing that with you. And suddenly when you read that scripture, you realize you're the disciple who said to the woman, don't go near him. Maybe you're a little frustrated. Why that person got healed and not me? Why of all the people in the crowd, the nameless woman with a medical condition? What about the disciple who was there from the beginning, who hoped Jesus would do something and hasn't done anything yet? And this scoundrel, who is a Johnny come lately and joined the procession only today, they got healed. Maybe your heart has to hear a word from the Lord that according to his will, let it be done. You're reading the same words, but your starting point is, my relationship with the Lord is making me read these words this way. I hope that's helpful to you. Lastly, uh, the practice of shedding. <laughs> that sounds so gross, but I try to stick to like the S's. Spiritual pivot starting point and uh, shedding practice. Here's what I mean. Uh, simply put, uh, Jesus washes the disciples' feet. The disciples say, no, 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 don't do that, don't do that. Uh, it's embarrassing, we'll wash your feet. Jesus said, listen, I have to wash your feet or you're not gonna have any part of me. He said, because you are cleansed but for your feet. The principle is, as you go through life, you pick up bad philosophies, wrong catchphrases, 
unwise interpretations and you start to accumulate them into your heart. And one of the things the scripture does is it knocks it out and breaks it away. So your heart is not hardened over time. Your feet are not soiled over time. That the longer you walk, the more impure our information can become. Something very beautiful about someone who's just a new Christian. Very uncomplicated, you know. The pure, doesn't the scripture say in Revelation, restore unto us the joy of, no, that psalm, the joy of our salvation. Revelation says that we're to go back to our first love. Yes, There's something very pure about that. Let the scripture knock out your bad philosophies. You know, I started apologizing to people. A few people used to message me and say, you know, don't you feel that Christianity and colonialism came together in Africa? And for a while, I, I, I thought, well, you know, I suppose it is bad that, you know, colonialism had a big effect on the continent and with it, colonialists were also Christian. And I, I started feeling quite uncomfortable about that. But look at that verse reminding me that the Queen of Sheba was from Ethiopia already visiting Solomon in the Old Testament. Don't bring humanity's failures and ask God to pay the price for that. It was man's failure, not God's failure, that caused the conflict in the world. From the Crusades, they might have put a Christian cross on their bad behavior, but it was the heart of man, not the heart of God, that broke people. It was always the heart of God to welcome children home. Always the heart of God. And so I want to read the last verse of the day, John 12, even after Jesus had performed many signs in their presence, they still would not believe him. This was to fulfill what the, uh, uh, the word of Isaiah the prophet, Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they, uh, for this reason, they could not believe because as Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn and, would, and he would heal them. You know, the power of that scripture is a reminder to me that we live in a blind world who would prefer if all of us were equally blind. And there is a challenge on all of us to rise up, wake up, and let Christ be our light. Can we say amen to that? We need a pivot. There has to be a spiritual moment of personal transformation. We need to allow our starting point to be our relationship with the Lord and then the reading of his word. And then we need to shed the bad theories, both human and, and, and poorly constructed spiritual um, theories, so that we can keep our faith pure and free from being toxic. I've, looked, I've really looked forward to sharing with you about the power of the word. We don't live in a world anymore where you carry a book around. But I want to encourage you, don't let this generation slip between the actual book and the app. We're the generation in the middle who now does neither. And the next generation will do it digitally. And the previous generation did it manually. Don't let us be the generation that did it neither. Can we say amen to that? Do one or the other or both if you're the stuck generation in the middle. But don't do neither. It's a trick of the devil. Can you say amen to that? Would you please stand with me as we pray? Jabo, will you join me?
I um, want to pray for you this morning. Uh, I want to remind you that there are pastors and teams and leaders up front to pray for you at every service, and, and I want to encourage that. Um, also want to remind you, I think this is the last Sunday before, no, we've got two more Sundays for Worthy. And you, I don't know if you know this, but you could buy a ticket just for a session, not for the whole weekend if you can't make the whole weekend. Women's conference in two weeks. I'm going to be in the city of George preaching this coming weekend. And uh, Mike, who's preaching here? You're preaching here. Yes, it's going to be, it's going to be awesome. It'll be awesome. Come listen to how Jesus can heal and lead even a rugby uh, ref. Um, <laughs> But, but please come to conference, ladies. We, we've run out of seats here today. I'm telling you, be first in the queue of what God's going to do next. Because there is a next for this church and for what God's going to do. Amen. Lord, thank you for your word. Please remind us of its beauty, of its privilege, of its authority. Help us read the word in context of our relationship with you. We believe that you are and that you're a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. Today, we pray that you will awaken in this church and everyone watching online, all of our extended community and family, a love and a desire for the pure, unpolluted Word of God, that we are not commander over it. It commands over us. And we pray, Lord, that that will be our testimony in this house. We ask, Lord, that your blessing, which makes us both strong and nourished and wealthy in every eternal sense, will rest upon us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, one last shout of praise and worship and thanksgiving.